there's a hierarchy of things that leaders and boards of companies value. The first level of the hierarchy is revenue. Anything you can do to show that you're going to grow revenue or it's going to have that sort of parabolic impact or exponential impact on revenue, you're going to get their attention immediately. Number two is margin or operating expense, you know, really optimizing the organization from that standpoint. And then number three is, you know, people value it, but it's more of this sort of regulatory or internal KPIs. There is a financial value to regulatory compliance, but generally speaking, like you have to sort of elevate the message to get more buy-in and acceptance of that function from the top leadership. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Today I have for you Jonathan Xavier Osebeck, who is the Chief Transformation Officer over at Iron Bow Technologies, and previously was the first, that's right, the first inaugural chief operating officer, the COO of the Virginia Information Technologies Agency, known as VITA, which actually was the first centralized technology agency for the Commonwealth of Virginia. And he's deputy CIO for that Commonwealth. Now, he's been recognized for deploying the first in the nation IT services for them, as well as achievements in research development and innovation with a focus on artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, machine learning, and cyber resilience. He's also the author of the upcoming fiction book, The Corporate Mercenary. Wow, that title didn't grab you. I don't know what will. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. And Ben, it's a pleasure being here this afternoon. Oh, fantastic. Glad to hear that. Glad it's a pleasure. And we plan to keep it to be a pleasure <laughs> from here on Excellent. out. Do it. <laughs> so your specialty is transforming and turning around companies and organizations. What's Correct. been your guiding principle along the way? So, you know, my and the one thing that surprised me is my methodology has been very successful, not only across different industry verticals, but also different geographies. And then, as you mentioned, it was also wildly successful in government. So for me, um, the really the guiding principle I had in terms of either turning around or transforming an organization is to really understood, number one, what is the current state? Where is it at today? And where can it be? Try to help either the board or in this case uh, with Virginia, the cabinet, the, the sort of administration. Where do they want to take this thing? What do they want this thing to be when it grows up? What do they want this thing to be in the future state? Once I understand that and I understand where we're currently at, I'm able to come up with a very good sort of methodology and strategy and a roadmap to get us from point A to point B. And the one thing that's really surprised me is I usually find a, a high rate of success within two years um, to the tune of 300 million or more and either top or bottom line improvements. So it, it's something that it, it's my passion and I like it because it's always something new. You never deal with the same situation twice. 
Well, you said government agencies, which I thought was pretty interesting here, because the at, at the political helm, a lot of times there's an election, there's changes. And so I'm, I'm wondering how you navigate that because the future state could be quite, I mean, it could be a lot different between based yeah. on who's elected. So how, do, how does that impact the model and, and your process? So, and I'll use specifics with the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, when I arrived there, technology wasn't in a great spot. Um, there was not a lot of credibility based on years of underperformance with the financial and the political stakeholders. So it, it's similar in many ways of transforming a company in that you have to understand the power structure. You have to understand who holds the purse strings. And then you have to understand what goals are they looking for and how can I tie this strategy to that? So one of the things I was able to do with the Commonwealth of Virginia is when we sort of innovate with these technologies, when we drive technology forward and drive the constituent experience with government forward, we're tying in the financial stakeholders to say, here's we're going to do things better. We're going to do things cheaper, more effective for the taxpayer, which built a lot of credibility with them. And then ultimately with the Commonwealth of Virginia, we were able to save them over $200 million over four fiscal years. So they were mm-hmm. definitely gave me a lot of credibility when dealing with them. And then likewise with the political stakeholders, the political stakeholders run everything in government. Um, That's number one. You have to go into there knowing that. So for me, I look at technology and I say, what are some ways I could give them a political win? And in the case Mm. of deploying some of those innovative technologies, um, as you know, in uh, 2020, we dealt with an unprecedented pandemic, Um, was able to deploy a lot of innovative technologies that I had on my roadmap, like robotic process automation as a service, artificial intelligence as a service. And the way I was able to get funding to do it was to really show the political stakeholders, if we implement this RPA, we're going to rapidly speed up our COVID response. Number mm-hmm. one, there's a political win right there. Or in the case of RPA as a service, we're going to rapidly speed up our ability to analyze and disposition unemployment benefits claims which again, service to the citizen dramatically improves. So that is something that resonates with those stakeholders. Um, and then mm. you know, once you sort of get some momentum, they do allow you to do a lot more with the transformation that you're pushing, but you have to build those inroads before you really start getting aggressive. I mean, that, that response is pretty huge for listeners. And I don't want, and for me, and I don't want to make, I don't want to bypass that to, without pointing out that, you're doing the same project on the same trajectory, right. perhaps that the previous administration wanted to do or that you're envisioning for your team. But the key deal is you understand what's important to right. the top leaders and you're focused on getting them a win for their agenda. Right. Which I mean, y'all, when you think about this for your own wins inside your own company, well, how are you tying it back to the bottom Correct. line or to, whatever incentives. And I think it's just too easy to, uh, to forget about that. So you're having that conversation. Correct. And make it Yeah. And, and it's important to know, I mean, no matter what your function is. Now, in my, my specialty, I have a lot of technology experience, but I also have a lot of financial and healthcare experience. So mm-hmm. I'm very eclectic in my knowledge and experience, mm-hmm. but the principle is the same. You have a power structure within an organization. You have certain strategic goals that they want to achieve. In the case of the private sector, it could be market share. It can be double-digit or triple-digit revenue growth, right? And whatever things you're doing to transform that entity, how are you tying it to that? And can you trace that for those people so they understand it, so they buy into the vision that you're articulating? And if you're able to do that, that's really what ultimately will facilitate the journey for you. 
facilitate the journey. Yes, that's sir. right. <laughs> because you've got you've got what you're working on. I think a lot of people that are project managers that are leaders that have a vision for their team, and then they get frustrated because like, man, nothing's going anywhere. I can't do anything outside of my team. I can't get a bigger budget. I'm not making a bigger impact. Well, maybe the problem is you're not you're not really tying it into the bigger picture. Correct. Uh, in terms of what you're working on. And I love this this approach. Um, so you may have a listener out there who's like, okay, this sounds kind of cool. But how the heck do I actually do it? What what's the first step for that frustrated leader out there who doesn't seem like their team is really getting the support of the broader organization? Well, I mean, it, you know, and I can give you an example. Um, I was a leader in a global program management office for financial services, one of the leading financial services companies. And that was a situation where you you sort of have, it was like an internal consulting function, basically, so that they can save money, but have these high level talent in there to consult on transforming and optimizing very various mm-hmm. pockets of the business. And the leaders who had the role before me, they, and, and, this, and this is where you have to sort of balance giving the leaders what they want and then really selling your case to actually decide what they want. Um, but leaders before me capitulated in the sense that they were pushing a lot of regulatory work and they were mm. accepting a lot of regulatory work in that PMO. Now, that's important. You know, don't, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me and say regulatory is not important. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if your goal is to transform something and your goal is to grow the influence and the success of your organization, people generally don't value regulatory in the same way. They've, they they say, okay, that's risk mit- mitigation. And then they just sort of write it off, but they're going to try it's to do that as cheap as possible. Necessarily. It's not yeah. exciting. So I, what I said is I'm going to take on the strategic regulatory projects, right? But then I'm also going to help the bank digitally transform the card experience. And it was one of the first digital platforms for digital payments. Um, I'm going to help them save a ton of money. I'm going to help them also with new products, grow their money on the top line through the consulting. And, And that's the thing. Like There's a hierarchy of things that leaders and boards of companies value. The first level of the hierarchy is revenue. Anything you can do to show that you're going to grow revenue or it's going to have that sort of parabolic impact or exponential impact on revenue, you're going to get their attention immediately. And number two is margin or operating expense, You know, really optimizing the organization from that standpoint. And then number three is you know people value it, but it's more of this sort of regulatory or internal KPIs. There is a financial value to regulatory compliance. But generally speaking, like you have to sort of elevate the message to get more buy-in and acceptance of that function from the top leadership. Yeah, the sales side, the revenue side of the house gets the the investment usually gets the focus. And if you can show, hey, this is going to help you grow your revenue, you can get a lot more ears. And hey, this is going to help you avoid a, di- a disaster. Because they're going to be thinking, well, how likely is that disaster going to be? And how they much put a money probability to it. Yeah. yeah, what's the probability of the? So yeah, it's, it's so important, and, and I love the way you broke that down in terms of a hierarchy. That's a great framework for people to to, to think about that for their projects. Now, let's dive into this book, the, the Corporate Mercenary. Sure. So, I looked at that at first. I'm like, man, is that nonfiction or fiction? It's like, okay, <laughs> it's fiction. Either way, would have been interesting, right? Uh, but it's a fiction book. Yes, watch your trailer. Uh, 
it's, it's intriguing. So what is at the heart of this book? Sure. Well, and I'll say there's two books coming up. Um, the first one coming out in November is The Corporate Mercenary. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So any of your listeners who are interested in it, they can go to thecorporatemercenary.com, one word, um, and then they can get details on the book and what the plot is and you know get notifications yeah, we'll of when it's released. Too. Yeah, perfect. Now, the second one is, and we'll talk about that in a bit, is a Transformation Field Manual, right? Now, that one is a total nonfiction. That one is about my personal methodology, getting it articulated, getting it codified to really help leaders, whether it's in their own business, small, medium-sized business, or whether it's an up-and-coming leader like myself who wants to learn a really effective methodology at driving turnaround and transformation that's really not published out there. Um, That's the second one coming out early in the first quarter of 2023. But The Corporate Mercenary is a very personal book um, from my standpoint, and I give a little bit of background. So I'm happily married. I have five kids, right? So as you can imagine, you know, everything that goes with that, lack of sleep, extremely busy, um, uh, always something happening at the house that you have to manage. So the dynamics of the system and the labor market have shifted, right? And it started roughly in, you know, the 1980s, the contract between employer and employee was radically altered in the sense that employers were lobbying in mass to replace the defined benefit plan with the defined contribution plan, right? So in other words, for your listeners, replace pensions with 401ks, right? That changed the equation for the employee, but that also changed their ability to have financial sustainability with one employer, right? So I, you know, I do a lot of entrepreneurial ventures on the side. Um, I believe in multiple streams of income. I believe in passive income. And the corporate mercenary is a fiction work, but it's a it's a very entertaining commentary on the system that's designed to open people's eyes. And what is it designed to have them do is to say, you know, you have goals you have in your career, but don't neglect your financial freedom. Don't neglect your financial sustainability. So while you're working that thing, there's tactics, there's different methods you can employ to grow your multiple streams of income, in particular, your passive income with the goal of achieving mm-hmm. financial freedom. And mm-hmm. I've achieved financial freedom a few years ago. It's, it's allowed me to do very amazing things with my career. Um, being Chief Transformation Officer of Ironbow is one of them. Very proud to be here. It also allowed me to take a, a significant pay cut to come out of the private sector, to go into a government, which was a seemingly impossible situation and say, I'm going to turn around a government, I'm going to transform a government. Had I not had that financial sustainability and that financial freedom, I would never have been able to take on projects like that to really test under fire my transformation methodology. So it's really designed, first and foremost, to give people some truth on the system, because there is a lot of information out there that's you know not really out there um, on what the system actually is. But then once they have that truth bomb to have a personalized strategy for them, of how they can sort of find their way out of it and achieve that level of financial freedom. So when you say financial freedom, how do you define that? So financial freedom is basically, you know, my expenses are X. I have income sources coming in that aren't my active income stream that provide X plus something, or at the minimum, they provide X. So if my expenses are fully covered by the passive and multiple income streams mm-hmm. that I set up, that opens the door to what projects or what work I can actually take on that is more meaningful to me and allows me to self-actualize my potential. So when you go in, so so congratulations, by the way. 
not, not a lot of people uh, ever do that. When you go in to a, I'm, I'm curious, you go in for your government position or your current role. Do you say that? You're like, hey, I've got financial freedom, y'all. I don't have to be here for the paycheck. I'm here because I want to be here. I believe in it. I'm excited. Or how, how do you, how has that whole conversation gone? Well, I think, so you have, and this is discussed in the book, right? Because you watched the trailer. It talks about what the mm -hmm. system is. And the system, basically, everybody who participates in the system could be divided into three tiers, batteries, tools, and owners, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're going into a company and you're saying, I have this, you have one of two responses. Number one would be those companies who are motivated by control and saying, I can't have an employee that I can't hold the threat of a termination over. Like that, that is too much of a disruption of our system. They won't even consider me. And quite frankly, I wouldn't even apply to that job anyway, or even pursue it. Um, but there's other organizations that are looking to make very significant impacts. They're looking to drive, you know, very um, impressive transformations. And if you bring in somebody who doesn't have the fear, who's doing things for the right reasons, I'm doing things to, because I believe in the mission, because I want to help you achieve the outcome. Quite a few companies are compelled by that message, knowing that, you know, this person does have financial freedom. He doesn't necessarily need to be here for a paycheck. I'm actually going to be more committed to making this thing happen because it's not the financial motive that's driving me. It's actually the, the achievement of the outcome. And that motivates quite a few companies um, to really say, I know this guy is good. And like I said, if you look me up on Twitter, um, I'm like known as this financial guru and this options trader made a lot of money that way. Um, you look me up on LinkedIn, the whole financial freedom journey is documented, right? Companies know what they're getting. Um, but generally speaking, like I said, most good companies who are really looking to deliver amazing outcomes and really care about the customer and the customer experience, they're, they're not turned off by that because you're bringing in somebody who ha will have a level of commitment to the mission that you won't see in many other cases. So the financial freedom piece I can vouch for in terms of my journey was a little different than that. So I worked for a company and I was thinking about, I, I had a side hustle doing coaching and training right. and, you know, I, I didn't achieve financial freedom at the time through that, but I had saved enough in my, what I will be calling a lot of people call like your attitude account where you have enough money yeah. saved to where if you did leave, uh, you'd be okay. And Correct. more importantly, I knew if I left or had to, I had to leave because I was fired or whatever, I knew what I would go do. I would go build this business. And it completely flip-flopped my results at work. I started Correct. speaking out more courageously. Uh, I did better. I just said what was on my mind, not in a deconstruct, not in a destructive way, but in a constructive way, but I was more bold. Right. And they said I was stepping up as a leader and they promoted me. Correct. Uh, it opens up the floodgates. It is a potential. It's, and I think you, it just really resonated with me. We said it, when people hire people that, that aren't afraid of being fired, like they're not holding the threat of being fired you get better performance. Correct. Well, um, and I'll tell you, and I'll add a point to that. Um, well, not every this, time, though. I don't want to overgeneralize. I don't think it's every time. Right. But I think it can do that. 
Well, and the thing I would say to your listeners is this, and it also ties into the whole theme of the corporate mercenary. I actually wrote this book years ago, or at least I wrote most of it. I'm editing it now to update it for the great resignation and some of these themes that are out there since the pandemic. There was something mm-hmm. that told me not to release it at that time. Um, and then now with some of the trends you see with the workforce disruption and things like that, I said, now is the right time to release it. But you know, I remember like early in my career, um, the initial message that I received um, was that just get a job, you know, get up in the organization, work your way up the ladder, become a director or VP, and then you're set, right? You're not going to have any worries, and then that'll be that'll be it. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, you know, there's so much disruption underneath us with different micro environmental factors, macro environmental factors. That, you know, I just remember like early in my career, I became a, one of the youngest uh, international finance managers for a hospitality company, right? And was making good money. Um, I engaged my wife. So we were going to get married like a year or so later. And, you know, all of a sudden 2008 happened, right? Now I was considered a top talent at that company. 2008 happened. And, I, you know, I was basically told that, you know, let us know if you want a reference, but we can't guarantee anybody's job because of the disruption there. So, you know, that's a situation where I'm about to start a family have a, uh, with my wife and start a new life. And then, you know, that was a very formative experience for me to say this game has totally changed from what I was told growing up. And then I got a job after that with a very stable at the time medical device company. Mm-hmm. And they were known uh, with very long tenures, 20, 30 year tenures. And they hired a new CFO within a year of me getting there. And then within about six months of that, they laid off uh, 30% of finance and 40% of IT. Um, and, and I'm watching mm-hmm. it. I'm like, I literally came to this company because of the stability, right? And we're talking, you know, 2009, 2010. Um, and then the layoffs were just massive and very abrupt and, and things like that. So yeah. after that second experience, my, my uh, mindset on career shifted dramatically. So it didn't become just get yourself to a certain level. It became, we're going to do a great job with career. We're going to achieve outcomes, but we're going to establish financial freedom holistically. And then that's really when my eyes were opened. And then this whole financial freedom journey started and accelerated was at that point. And, and, and was your financial freedom facilitated by, through options trading stocks or did you other streams of income, real real estate or what what was your focus? I've done a lot of investing, um, options trading, swing trading, um, you know, invested in businesses, started up a few businesses. Um, So, you know, I've done all of the above. The one thing I didn't get involved too dramatically was real estate. Okay. I just didn't, I didn't like the liquidity of being trapped for a while while you're trying to do real estate. So that was the only thing that kept me away from there. But I know yeah. quite a few people who have made a lot of money on it. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, I think when, when people ask me about it, I always say what you're interested in, go right. deeper into that. Obviously you were all, I don't know you're interested in finance, but you obviously have a finance background. Correct. So getting deeper into the trading world was probably a natural, you know, fit, uh, you know, and you're, and then your interest in transformation and working with smaller companies that can, it's harder, a lot harder to transform a big company than it is a smaller Correct. company with fewer people. So you probably, it's a natural fit. So I don't put words in your mouth, but for the listeners, that's some insight. If you want to accelerate that, and some people say, you know, Ben, financial freedom just means low debt to me. I don't want to yeah. do all this other stuff. Okay. But you can just save a little bit. And that's one way to get there. 
Uh, but if you want to accelerate, going deeper down your natural interest sounds like a really great way to uh, to do it. And that's what she did, huh? Is that? 100%. Uh, yeah. I, think you, I think you hit the nail right on the head, sir. Well, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the book now. So when it comes out, I'll be curious uh, uh, to see that. And now you're adding books to your potential revenue stream in some way. Although that the book in and of itself isn't always a big money generator, but the relationships and the right. speaking and whatnot, you know, it can be another avenue for you. Um, so congratulations on that. So, man, that, that that's a cool, that's a really cool take. You know, we've had over 130 plus senior leaders on the show, and I don't think we've gone down this road quite like this. Um, now for you. Now that you're kind of taking a little a little bit of a jump here as a chief transformation officer and you're advising uh, your current company on Correct. hiring people, are you consciously advising them and looking for people that have already achieved financial freedom to become employees or do you not go down that road? Well, so it's obviously not a question I'll ask during an interview. Um, <laughs> you sure fight for freedom yet? Like, what? They, they to, I don't know that many um, candidates would know how to respond to that. I mean, essentially, you know, I, I do a few things with them, right? Number one is I do have an innovation streak. Um, so I'm helping them divide, define services that aren't in the market today. Being a leader in government, mm. um, I, I received a lot of awards and recognition for dramatically changing technology services at the government level, but also the constituent experience with government through technology. And I'm bringing that with a company like Ironbow, which is amazing. Um, Ironbow has a relentless focus to the customer's mission. And they, they work with the state and local governments. They work with the federal government. Ironbow will move mountains to help the customer agency meet their mission. So, you know, the way I looked at it initially was I said, if I combine that with these services that no one's doing today, no one's really targeting the voice of the customer like we're going mm -hmm. to, because I was one of the customers, um, that's going to be a very amazing opportunity. But in terms of the staff, you know, and the people we hire, one of the things I advise them on is to say, this is the skill competency we need, right? Now, part of it is, you know, when you look at transforming an organization, there's processes you need to change, systems you need to change, things like that. Other part of it is injection of skills. And you can do an injection of skills two ways. You can either train up, right? You can train up mm -hmm. the existing staff, which there's going to be some of that that's already been implemented. But then also you have to bring in some strategic new talent because that really accelerates some of the cultural changes you need to manifest to really make this thing on solid footing and make it sustainable. So, you know, when I hire people, the one thing I do to them, and, you know, a lot of my former staff can attest to this, is I mentor them actually on financial freedom because some of them don't know where to start, right? And I take an active effort mm -hmm. in mentoring my staff and junior people to give them this knowledge and to help them on their journey. Well, so what you that's how them? I really, I mean, I basically tell them this is what I see coming. You know, financially, this is what I would do if I was in your position. Like if I if I knew in my twenties what I know now, I'd be even further ahead. Um, so I try what, to. What's that? What's the advice that you that you or what's the knowledge you have that if you gave it to your twenties self, you'd be I don't know whatever I say further further ahead. Well, so for example, I mean, up until my early thirties, um, I didn't really I didn't fully realize that relying solely on your active income 
was a recipe for disaster, right? Um, that income stream is prone, the longer you're in the game, it's prone to be disrupted. So with that knowledge, had meaning, I known meaning that, that I, meaning people with one job, meaning they have one customer, which is your boss, your employer, yes. that is one source of income. And that's Correct. meaning to be disrupted, meaning that the longer you're in it, uh, the company will have a problem. You'll have a new boss. There'll be a finance, a, 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 there'll be a pandemic. There'll right. be something that's going to disrupt the darn thing. Okay. Well, when think about it now, I mean, you have very much macroeconomic concerns about inflation and yep. you already see workforce disruptions, pandemic, who knows when the next one's around the corner. Hopefully mm -hmm. there's never another one, but you know, we have to be realistic. If one can happen that quickly, another one could happen just as quickly. Um, so there's a lot of happening at people's feet that they're not even aware of because it's just happening around them. And I'll give you an example, just using my finance background. Mm. When I first started my career, you could have a tax practice where what you did was tax preparation, right? And this is back mm. when I started my career in the early 2000s. That's when this tax preparation software was in its infancy. Like TurboTax. But, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. TurboTax or Tax Act. And what happened was the automation trend accelerated in that particular vertical to where now, if you're somebody who does you know, uh, tax preparation, you really have to go into something like tax strategy. You have to go into something more value added. Otherwise, you've just commoditized a whole bunch of your knowledge and skills focusing just on the preparation aspect. And, and that's an example of what used to be a very highly paid, well-respected um, uh, vocation. And then mm -hmm. to, through technology, through automation, that has been totally disrupted. Just yeah, so in my a small business owner, even and you've got one correct. in the business, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's why, if you were somebody who, you know, let's say twenty years ago, you were going to, into accounting, and your dream was to have your tax practice, where you would do a bunch of prep work, and then, you know, have that whole thing going, you needed to have a shift. Yeah, you needed to have a shift in strategy. So the same thing happens with your career. You can't just rely on the fact that I'll be staff accountant one and then go to accountant manager and have that stability the rest of my career. You can use any vertical, um, full stack developer in the technology vertical. All these things are constantly being disrupted and there's automations coming that people don't even realize. Now I've been on the cutting edge of research and development at various points in my career. So mm -hmm. I have a really good finger on the pulse of what's coming. But that's also why I said now is a good time for the corporate mercenary, because it's going to open their eyes to some of the more macro factors systemically that are happening around them. Mm. And then hopefully spark that fire inside of them and say, OK, now it's time to have my strategy, too, and, and lead to that outcome. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight. So being becoming the corporate mercenary is a good thing in the book yeah. because mercenaries are like the back in the feudal times, right? They were the people who there were people were like families were warring all the time in like right. Italy. You go to Italy, it's like, oh yeah. This is a beautiful farmland, but yeah, that village used to war with this village and, and the people inside the village, there were 10 different families that constantly were warring and they right. would hire the mercenaries because the mercenaries are like, Hey, if you're paying me, 
I'll come do a great job for you. Is that right? Correct. And so yeah. is it a similar? My, well, and, and it's, and it's this too, right? Companies, you know, for the most, for the most part, I mean, you have not-for-profit exceptions and obviously I worked in government as well. Companies run on the principles of quantitative management, you know, revenue growth. They track that monthly and quarterly, same thing with the operating expense structure. What I'm saying to people and through the corporate mercenary, but also through my mentoring, they have to view their career and their financial life also like a business or something I like to call corporation me, right? Mm. If you were running a company or you're part of a company where you have 95% of your revenues coming from one customer, that's concentration risk. Like a company board and auditors of the company would would criticize that. They'd say, if something happens to this one customer, 95% of your revenues are at risk, Right. So you want to see yeah. a well diversified. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> well, and that's what you want yeah, to see a well all, diversified. Words, you're living your life with your eggs all in one basket, and if Correct. you yeah, spread those eggs. And that's out. what I said. Diversify your revenue streams. Control your expenses. Make sure you know net net profit is positive every month, and you can use that to acquire more assets, which are cash uh, cash producing assets. Mm-hmm. And then you keep that process growing. And you, and you grow it over time while you're delivering amazing outcomes for your employers. Yeah. I love that. And therefore, you know, you're and you're and you're walking the walk, walking the talk here by teaching this to your own team. Correct. So but you want that, them to have diversity, yeah. like don't, for a lot of people say, Hey, look, you can just depend on us. We're going to deliver for you. We're going to be your, you're like, Hey, listen, don't just depend on me and the Correct. company you work for. Like do great work for us because we expect it, but you need to be thinking about these other things. And it's a correct. That's a that's a big conversation, and I think it's pretty cool that you're having it. Well, the one side benefit that comes from just engaging my teams like this is because it gives me a lot of authenticity with them. So when I'm pushing a transformation, there's already a huge amount of trust because they say this guy's just speaking truth, and we're going to believe what he says because again, I'm coming at it like I don't have time to be dishonest, um, so I come at it with just complete honesty, and it really gives me a lot of trust between myself and my staff. Cool. Well, to be honest, that is a lot to take in on this episode, and I think you're going to love it. Uh, I think it's very interesting not only to encourage financial freedom, uh, not encourage it, but but to think about it for yourself and how it makes you a better employee, but also think about how you're, and, and the way you're presenting it is really like, it's a call to action for leaders Correct. to have these conversations with their team. Because ultimately, from a self-serving standpoint, it makes them better. It doesn't mean Correct. they're necessarily going to quit. And in fact, they might be more committed because they don't feel like they need to go supplement their income or they're scared about their role because they're, they're developing a more diversified income future for themselves. Well, and, I, and I'll give you a real example of that. You're, you're actually yeah. going to get more loyalty from your team. Um, so to give an example in the Commonwealth of Virginia, right? I had an amazing group of leaders that were working for me. Um, and one of them in particular, he was my deputy COO, but he was effectively like chief technology officer. He actually received several offers while he was under my, uh, you know, my oversight in the private sector, which were double and triple his government salary. And he stayed with me in 2020 and he stayed with me in 2021 uh, because he had loyalty to the mission. He had loyalty to me. But then I also was like, listen, you, you, we're going to do such an amazing transformation. You can get more money than that once you decide to do that route. I'm going to let you up level 
your macro level skill set, not just focus on just taking this one cash grab. Um, so he, he st- stuck with me after multiple job offers and a whole lot of money was sort of thrown in his face. And we, in 2021, especially, we delivered so many amazing outcomes for the state. Um, so many first in the nation services, so much financial and fiscal savings for the taxpayers. It was just an amazing type of thing. And that's just a real recent example of with that honesty, you do have that loyalty and they're more committed to the mission because now you basically took one element out of it and then you have really just the dedication to mission is what's leaving them there as well as the loyalty to you as the leader. Yeah, I would like to call that, you don't have to call it this, but to me, that's the college football approach. Yes. You you can go to the NFL right after your, you know, your junior year, but if you give me one more year, we're going to yes. go out and do great things you're going to improve your draft stock, right? Which could be a huge cash difference versus Correct. negotiating from a weaker position. Is that? <laughs> well, that's actually very close to what I said to him. I said, if you have any idea of what we're going to accomplish this year, because he comes to me, my fifth uh, child was born in December of 2020, uh, December 23rd. Mm-hmm. And this individual calls me while I was at, my wife was extremely pregnant. And um, we were at a restaurant, one of the few times we had babysitting. And um, he calls me and I said, you know, my wife's name is Robin. I said, Robin, I have to take this. And he's like, John, I got this really good offer. You know, I don't know what to do. And I said to him, I said, whatever you do, I'm going to support you. I'm going to give you a reference. I have your back, you know, because you're amazing. You're a good person and good people stick together. I said, but if you had an idea of what we're going to accomplish in 2021, in terms of the first in the nation services, getting our names out there, getting awards and everything else associated with us, whatever they're paying you now, you can effectively 1.5 to 2 exit because that's what your brand is going to be worth. We're going to get you to that CTO level and you know that's what you're going to build your brand around. And then lo and behold, we accomplished four first in the nations, which were heavily publicized, which was amazing. And um, you know, I left the Commonwealth of Virginia February, at the end of February of 2022. And he left in May. And once he left, now he's in a chief technology officer position. He up-leveled himself that quickly in, a, in about a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. To He was a director level. Now he's a C-level executive. And it was all because he sort of took some of these lessons and he really just, you know, we stuck with it. We got the outcomes and the brand value increased dramatically. And so he saw it in live action. And, and him and I are very good friends to this day. Let's stop the interview on that. That's a great, great, great one uh, to stop stop it on. Perfect. So in November, right, that's the release date for the Corporate Mercenary. And then we didn't even touch on (laughs) your other book. We did maybe did a little bit, The Art of Transformation. Uh, But that'll be out 2023. And maybe we will do a second one, maybe second follow-up interview for that. Uh, What's your parting thought for our listeners here? I mean, you know, my parting thought is the most important thing that I think that they can get, a, we, we had a lot of, I think, entertaining and eclectic topics that are going to be of interest to them. The one thing I would leave them with is I, I think the reason I've been so successful is because I continuously look to learn and learn about new things and continuously look to up level, right? And everything we spoke about in terms of the financial aspect, in terms of viewing yourself as a corporation and diversifying your income stream, it's all about up-leveling, right? Because at the end of the day, once you up-level to a certain level, 
the, you're not doing it for yourself at that point. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it so you can have a better life for your family and leave a much more impressive legacy. So, you know, I would just say to everybody, really, if you want the easiest path to start implementing this, first thing first, adopt a continuous learning mindset. Have humility, knowing that you don't know everything. There's a lot of knowledge out there you don't know. Be very hungry to acquire that knowledge and then incorporate it progressively in your daily life and then watch the improvements happen. All right, all great tips for your work day and for your future. Go out and have Thank some you. fun with it. Thanks, Jonathan. Perfect. Thank you, sir. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.